It's that time again for the assault on your ears we call Lower Dorks, a Star Trek Lower Decks podcast. I'm Aaron, and with me as always is Stavros. So, Stavros, what we got on the agenda for tonight? Let's talk about what we're drinking first. Um, I believe this drink is called Rum and Peppers. It is Dr. Pepper and rum, obviously. (laughs) Indeed. Um, the rum I'm using is the Kraken rum that we uh, used in an earlier for an earlier episode's drink. I'm I'm digging it. I always like mixed drinks as usual. Um, I don't really drink Dr Pepper in general, but I will say that the Dr Pepper mixed with the rum makes for a fairly good mixed drink uh, combination. Not a prune fan, I take it. Worf would be ashamed of you. <laughs> Apparently not. Yes, but tonight. While we're drinking, we're going to be talking about episode 6 of season 2, The Spy Humongous. Yes, let's talk about the plot of this episode. When the Cerritos arrives at Paclid Planet, that's the name of the planet, to start peace negotiations, a Paclid refugee arrives on board with obvious ulterior motives. Meanwhile, Mariner, Tendi, and Rutherford clean up dangerous scientific leftovers from the senior staff after Boimler abandons them for a redshirt makeover. Yeah, so uh, once again, another episode with a A, B, and C plot. Um, or is it a D plot? I don't know how you label these things. But uh, I find it humorous <laughs> that, right. that uh, right off the bat, nobody cares about the A plot of the uh, peace negotiations. <laughs> the pilots. Yeah. <laughs> Very lower decks. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, there's not a lot of negotiating happening. So, like, what is there to really talk about as far as the negotiations go? It's just Freeman being stuck on the planet with packloads that are in Oh, was it Freeman? I, I could have sworn it was Janeway. Was that not the thrust of the episode? <laughs> I yeah, I was also confused. Yeah. I, I feel like it could have been either one of those people. The weird question is, how do they know about Janeway? I mean... <laughs> I was I, wondering the same thing. Maybe she's an admiral by now? Maybe, uh... Oh, you know what? I bet you Tom Paris wrote a hollow novel about their exploits in the Delta Quadrant. Ooh. And they're like, wow, Janeway is strong. I bet all Starfleet women are named Janeway. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk more about the Packlets because they're hilarious. Packlet Planet, of course, the name is first of all amazing. But why is the entire planet made of gold plating? Ah, yes, I love it. It totally shows them <laughs> the strength, the wealth. It's uh, what you know. People who are not really aware of how to project power—that's what they'll do. They'll say, "Look at me, I'm rich. <laughs> I plate, I plate everything in gold." kind of an it's, eyesore it's fantastic and beautiful definitely fits what we know of the pack lids uh how do you feel about the size of your hat indicating how powerful you are in their government i often love it i, I just that that scene <laughs> my helmet is not nearly large enough to make that decision and then they just go through a series of more ridiculous helmet sizes and the best scene <laughs> the revolution happens we will no longer bow and then, of course, you know, he puts on the helmet and, you know, they resolve Animal Farm in all of a uh, couple of minutes. Yes, that's right. Such a... And definitely nothing changes. Fantastic progression. <laughs> I like the entire revolution on the Paclid planet just changes nothing about the plot whatsoever. You know, but the best part is, it's Paclid. It's what you expect, right? You know, and it, it just reinforces that there's something else going on besides the Paclid. Like, someone is pulling the strings as record would say so there's definitely they don't seem to be threatening enough to have you know to be as threatening as they are in the show so something else has happened but we just we still don't know what we're we're over halfway through the season we don't know yet my vote is for lore (laughs) you think so no lore's back i don't think so lore already was in this season so i'm not sure how he would show up again he's already bad bath uh, bathtub bath wash whatever the hell you call it 
What was that? Was that bubble bath? It was bubble bath, right? Bubble bath. Yes. yes I knew I could say those words. <laughs> <laughs> this rum is pretty good. Anyway, <laughs> you know, the, and I also wanted to mention that uh, in orbit of the Pakled planet, there's several of these Pakled uh, ships in orbit, uh, and they all look exactly the same. So I, I was wondering what, if you had thoughts about this. If these are all supposed to be ships that are that are made up of assembled bits of other ships, and they all look exactly the same. I mean, obviously it's cheaper from production costs, but in the, from a canon perspective, are they getting schematics that are involving, like, pieced together bits of other people's technology, and that's why they all look the same? Or maybe they just build, like, a shell, like, the entire exterior is just mm. cardboard, and they filled it with technology. <laughs> so, like, these look strong! <laughs> yes, but they have no engines or weapons. Here, hammer! It's all for Here, show. Warp core. It's like Bolt the gold plating. <laughs> I like that explanation. Like, ooh, Romulan uh, nacelles, those look threatening. <laughs> Better bolt on a uh, piece of cardboard that looks like that. Yeah. I think that's amazing. Uh, sure, it has nothing to do with production values. It's entirely an in-universe reason they all look the same. <laughs> For sure. Um, I was wondering if you caught when the Paclet spy is aboard the Cerritos, where he asked to see the Crimson Force Field. Do you remember that from uh, Samaritan Snare? Yeah, I mean, wasn't that their big uh, gambit? <laughs> right, where they just eject their uh, Bazaar collectors all over the the Packlet ship and makes it turn crimson. And Jordy's like, "Ah, they got us with their Crimson Force field." And yes, here we are talking about Crimson Force field. However many years, I, later I feel like that's it. a theme of the series: is whenever you're up against an enemy that you think is dumb, just just lie to them. You know, propose a game of Fizzbin, <laughs> turn on your Crimson Force fields. Yeah, makes sense, right? No, not at all. <laughs> But the other thing I wanted to talk to cover with, as far as the Packlets go is they talk about the plan to get the Verovian bomb to Earth, uh, which I hope we're going to see more of in subsequent episodes here. But I think this is they uh, they mentioned earlier in the season um, on the Titan about how that starbase was attacked with the Verovian bomb. So we get some internal consistency, which is nice. I don't know, man. They're getting a little too arky in my episodic comedy show. You know, it's funny, if you're going to talk about that, I mean, I think it's taking a long time to get to this arc. They're definitely leaning into the episodic comedy, but it's a 10-episode season, and, you know, maybe just a handful are about Packlets? I don't know, we'll see if, like, the second half of the season turns wait, into Wait, 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 it's, it's a 10-episode season? Shit, I only have enough booze for nine. <laughs> you're gonna have to uh go to the store, pick up some different I different kinds going of going outside. I don't like know. to leave my hovel. Who does, honestly? Your hovel's the place to be. <laughs> but anyway, I'm wondering if they're going to lean into the pack-led stuff in the second half of the season, or is it just going to be these sporadic, occasional episodes to cover them? I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't think it really matters, as long as they continue to have uh, solid storylines. Like, this could have even been a one-off that just referenced something that happened outside of the series, like they often would do in TNG could have been yeah. a random race that freeman had had involvements with before it's just you know you don't really need the overarching story if your storylines are good they just it's it's a little extra spice in your coffee yeah fair enough well, let's talk about the b plot which is i know i could go with either the red shirt club or the science the science trash um, let's talk about the science trash first, actually. Are you calling science trash? Stavros, I always suspected you were anti-science. It disappoints me to see it so... That's not true. It disappoints me to see it so obscenely confirmed. <laughs> well, you know what? If my science trash didn't 
come with any directions to the people picking up the science trash, then I'm pretty sure that the science trash is an apt descriptor for all those trashy pieces of trash. You know, I do love the fact, though, that in this arc, absolutely, completely irresponsible in handling hazardous materials. No PPE (laughs) whatsoever. Like, the crew's just leaving it lying around. No instructions. You know, this cube that Tendi picks up, an Ataxian Mood Shifter Cube, by the way, is the name of the thing that they barely sneak in there. Wouldn't it have been obvious to include like a little label you know or put it in the pad with the you know clean up instructions to not not become ragey when you pick it up otherwise you become a scorpion rage monster well i mean does everybody become a scorpion or is that unique to tendy (laughs) i don't think they go into that level of detail but still you think turning into any kind of monstrous monster would require a some kind of warning label. Well, I mean... But alas. The Rage Cube is supposed to turn your emotional armor into literal armor. So, you know, maybe <laughs> whoever was using it was all like, Ha ha ha, we're a Starfleet. We're all well-adjusted. We don't need to worry about <laughs> such ridiculous magic MacGuffins from beyond the stars. <laughs> you know, it's funny they when they're going through all of the various places. I mean, they come, they go to some various labs on the ship, but often they're going to specific characters' rooms or quarters to pick up stuff. I mean, it's kind of funny how they describe like which which items are for what. Because apparently, Ransom has a crystal collecting habit. Did you expect that? Your boy Ransom loves to pick up strange crystals. Who doesn't love picking up strange crystals? If you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, but let's not dive into that anymore. <laughs> but he, he's also the one with the frog skull that, that um, Rutherford breaks and inhales and becomes a squishy hulk yes. and nearly murders everyone. From the planet where things evolved strangely. Like, what does that even mean? Yes. <laughs> ah. That's not important to the, to the science trash cleanup. Yeah, well. The best question, though, is why would he have something so dangerous just sitting on his desk? Yeah, that could apply to any of these things, though, to be honest. Like Billups, you know, I, and I, we were talking earlier, you know, even Rutherford has bad things to say about Billups in this episode. You know what? For example, those nanobots, he cannot tighten, even tighten the lid on the nanobot. Uh, you know what? Every relationship has its uh, <laughs> minor conflicts. Just because you find something somebody else does annoying doesn't mean you should abandon everything and move to Vegas with a stripper. <laughs> oh, so sad. But yeah, some of the other stuff found in other people's quarters. Um, the counselor, Miglimo, um, he has some goggles, a broken sword, and the storybook where the three little pigs come alive and rampage. Yeah, is that a DS9 See? callback? I feel like that's a DS9 callback to when the aliens came through the portal. But that was like aliens doing it, right? That made like right. Buck Bakai and Rumpelstiltskin. And... It did seem like a loose reference to that episode, I think. I right. feel like it's probably popped up somewhere else, <laughs> like uh, fictional characters coming to life. I, I feel like that's happened somewhere else. Maybe an episode of Voyager with the like water monster yeah. or whatever. Right, the, the kids, uh, the, the hollow characters, yes. right? Shax, apparently, is the person who they take the submanifold casting stone at the end of the episode. Don't log it and instead use it to troll Armus. Yes! Trolling Armus! <laughs> Finally! Justice for Tasha Yar! <laughs> it, it had to happen sometime. It, it took like 
20 years of in-game time, but at least it happened. Yes, indeed. I just find it interesting that everybody's just kind of left him alone. This crazy, like, supernatural entity on an alien planet. Yeah, it's dangerous, (laughs) but you have, like, long-range communications. You have hazard suits, like... Nobody set up a research post to learn more about this thing. I think don't they say in the episode uh, Skin of Evil that they they set up some quarantine markers or something like that? Yeah, but I mean, like, come on, man, it's Starfleet. It's the you know they're they're scientific explorers. You think anybody's this is going to be like, <laughs> nah, man, this is too dangerous for us to explore. Even even Kirk and Spock ignored no trespassing signs when they were a little too interested. <laughs> That's true. You got to think how many other people this the sludge monster has murdered on that planet that have come to visit him. But still, it's it's fun to see the fun to see that little reference there. But I mean, let's talk about this submanifold casting stone for a while. I mean, how far away is Armis's planet? You know, this is like a, a very powerful artifact, and we've just got the the lower deckers just completely abusing its power. Well, not even <laughs> abusing its power, but it's just like lying around on this Q tier ship that like nobody cares about. <laughs> I feel yeah. like this is revolutionary technology, right? I know, right? One way communication. What's the distance to that? And it sounds like they could hear him <laughs> too. So. I mean, you know, maybe <laughs> if somebody had said something, they would have been able to communicate with Voyager throughout those nine seasons. And then, like, no, Janeway, that's a bad idea. No, Janeway, just go to the Dominion side of the wormhole and you cut your journey by two thirds. I, I feel like sending uh, Janeway into a war zone while cathartic would not have ended well for the crew. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. We're going to get off track with this discussion of what Janeway should and should not have done. <laughs> Shouldn't have murdered uh, Tuvix, but you know what? Homicide is right now, so... <laughs> Ooh, I don't know. I don't want to touch oh, well, this Yeah, yeah, uh, we're, this we're going sideways. Let's get back on track here <laughs> before we piss off all of the internet. Yeah. But some of the other things that they don't... that doesn't come from any particular area. That flower that's that sprays uh, Mariner with little, little pokey spines. Um, that's something that they find. The Retruvian flask with the liquid that splurts on mariner and sticks her to the ceiling that was pretty funny and of course boimler like knows all about these things even though he's not even on this assignment um but i think my favorite item was the screaming slug that uh, constantly screams it's like the one character in the show that has screamed more on like a higher percentage of screen time than boimler screams like a goat apparently <laughs> yeah it's a kind of a goat scream that's funny but it eats it eats and then promptly poops out tendy kind of a, a very realistic animated butt that I, I'm not sure I wanted to see. Bit, but bit too far there, know. yeah. Definitely should have gone with a different <laughs> angle there, guys. <laughs> we we knew it was a butt. Did you really have to show it? It's fine. It was on a it was on a slug monster. Yeah, the real question is why did a goop monster have a butt? It seems like, you know, he's goop. Does he really need that much detailed anatomy? Yeah, I don't know. Not that scant the animators. But yeah, definitely a lot of various various bits and bobs. Yes, and you know, lots of bits and bobs and tentacles. Yes, I saw those tentacles. They snuck into that scene when uh, Boimler's talking to the red shirts and the rest of the crew is in the background. And I love that. Like, the two stories overlapping, you know? Yeah, obviously you had the tentacles and the main lower deckers going nuts at the end and breaking shit and (laughs) Rutherford just, like, projectile vomiting in the background. Such a great, like, storytelling (laughs) device to have the two stories constantly overlapping like that. It's fantastic. Yeah. But you know, this whole this whole science trash subplot is a vehicle 
for uh, Tendi's meltdown, which interesting to see that happen to her character. She's so happy-go-lucky most of the time, but she completely loses her mind. And then Mariner, uh, and this is after Mariner completely losing her mind at her. It was bound to happen, but I do love the fact that even before her breakdown happens, Rutherford and Mariner can see that they've gone a little too far and they need to be a little more supportive. Yeah. Just fantastic. Yeah. It's, it's not all just like, oh, we're dicks until somebody says something. They realized they were being dicks a little early on there. Yeah. And then she goes, you know, full scorpion person. And the whole resolution of that, which also ties into the Boimler uh, subplot with the red shirts, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But um, the whole, uh, I, I like how it ties back into the mood shifter nature of the cube. So I thought the resolution was great. I just, I was like, wow, it's like, does, is, are we seeing something revealed about Tendi's character where she actually thinks the working on the Cerritos isn't as great as she you know, has been saying it is this entire time in the show so far. But I'm, and I'm kind of glad it got resolved at the end because like, oh, it's just Tendi just like, it's a complete facade, the the entire show. But I mean, she's, at least she's learned to moderate her expectations for what her job is. Well, and I mean, there's a very human aspect to that, that sometimes we love aspects of our lives and sometimes we loathe them. Yeah, completely. Let's move on to the C plots, the Red Shirt Club plot. So Boimler is confronted by uh, Ensign Casey, who we've seen as a background character on the bridge quite a lot so far. The Zinti character, who we've seen, we mentioned in uh, an episode or two ago, who the animators made very, <laughs> very sure to, to show that uh, he exists. Yeah. Jen the Andorian, and then another character who is unfortunately not named as a short black-haired woman all ensigns another fantastic aspect of them bringing background characters to the foreground and i was shocked that the zinti was not just a background gag and they used him in the foreground yeah of course they didn't name his species so (laughs) everyone knows it's zinti by now come on maybe not if you haven't seen the animated series maybe it's only the hardcore fans that know well you know i'm betting it's most fans because it's it's referenced a lot in trek culture yeah that's true. But Red Shirt Club, kind of an awkward name. You know, uh, there's a lot of talk that it's a callback to Red Squad, that these guys were not the Ooh. cool A-team in Starfleet Academy, <laughs> and that led them right. when they formed their group outside of it. Well, you know, we're, we're not the Red Squad, but we're, you know, the Red Shirts. I don't think so. I think it's just right. a callback to TOS, because they specifically yeah, make a be. joke about them being the up-and-comers <laughs> and the people who are going to go places. As right. opposed to just dying. <laughs> well, it's at least part of Star Trek culture, which is very well known. And to, to call them red shirts is definitely a jab at that. But of course, you know, they're all command uh, division people. So we have the literal red shirts thing as well. They want to get Boimler in on their team because they want Boimler's knowledge of what Riker is like on the Titan. Yeah. And you know what? They want to get Boimler on their team, which leads to my favorite That's moment right. in this show. Immediately after an episode <laughs> dealing with Mariner's abandonment issues, Boimler <laughs> abandons her. <laughs> that is t- completely true. And Mariner doesn't even get it. She's like, oh, look, he's getting out of science trash duty. Good well, for him. I think it's not that she gets it. It's that, you know, they've, they've resolved that issue. Oh, yeah. yeah okay. Okay. So she doesn't take growth. it personally. It's a thing, Stavros. Oh. I know you're not familiar with the medium of <laughs> character driven storytelling, but it's a thing. You know what? And I'm glad to see it, to be honest. But yeah, that's great. But we get more of a view of what the Red Shirt Club, uh, what their view on what makes a good captain. And of course, that is 
doing literal improv that is like makes it feel like an improv comedy class but there but it's not about making up what you think is a good command style it's about imitating other captains yeah it's all about appearance no substance no decision making just appearance which leads to my favorite scene and something we had talked about previously and speculated on was we finally get a look at buff boimler and He's not <laughs> That's right. Titan Boimler after years or months or however long it was of being in the limelight. It's not future Boimler right. who has found his true calling. It's not alternate reality Boimler who's lived a rough and tumble life. Nope, it's Boimler <laughs> it's in, a body Boimler. <laughs> in a bodysuit. <laughs> right? <laughs> Got him you some fake muscles! Uh, you know what that reminded me of was uh, like a kid's Halloween costume of a superhero yeah. that has like muscles like sewn into the costume. That's what it made me think well, of. Well, it's actually a funny story because there is stories from TNG and Voyager. So like famously, Bellanotaurus is a big, tough, half Klingon. But the right. uh, girl who plays her, Roxanne Dawson, is rather dainty. So they like had right. to pad up her uniform to make her look oh. bigger. Um, and there's similar stories in TNG where because they were wearing those tight-fitting jumpsuits, they would frequently right. have to like pad them up to make them not look like awkward, especially since they didn't tailor make <laughs> uniforms for every character. So I oh, think this right. may be a little bit of a callback to that. Of you have to have the right oh. look. Interesting. Not sure though. I mean, in to- I mean, let's talk about all of all of the Boimler like visual improvements. I mean, the outfit we're talking about. To be honest, I mean, so how do you feel about that? I, I personally am not a. I didn't think that visual aspect was necessary for him. The 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 clothes specifically, the uniform modifications. Even though Riker had giant pants because of definitely his legs because he's a tall yes, man. Yes, that's that's what he was going for there. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, you know what? It doesn't really. Yeah doesn't really matter it looks fine the outfit specifically uh, you know it's all about with the muscles on there and everything so it's interesting that it looks fine from a distance and all of like the distance drawings okay when it's close up it mm-hmm. looks utterly ridiculous with the giant shoulder <laughs> pads that are obviously right. giant shoulder pads <laughs> yeah but beyond that you know eh, it looks fine but it's all about visual language what kind of story are you trying to tell you know if especially in an animated medium where you have 100% control over that stuff. Right. You don't want to have your big, bad, tough guy and your serious, I-know-everything guy. You don't want to draw him like a squirmy, wormy, scrawny, pale-faced guy. Right. Communicates the sure. wrong language. Sure. And that was what that was the story they were telling with this whole exchange. <laughs> you know, the whole yeah. posture is important. Yes. See, that's the thing, right? Like, I So the other improvements they make, the visual improvements, I should say, the posture critique, which is hilarious because it's made by the Zinti who makes the callback to the animated series where the Zinti are, like, famously hunchback. It even, it even makes the imitation of it. But I think posture is a is a legit critique. Like, you got to have good posture, man. It's a... It's a visual language. It's a visual visual language. Being a captain, you got to you got to show people in your in your confident posture that you know what you're doing. Yes, indeed. And like going to the hair as well. I you know Boimler's. He's got the kind of goofy hair that he's proud of because he thinks it's cute. But you know I don't know about like preemptively dyeing it the lighter color on the sides. I think that's part of the reason why we thought it was like older Boimler from the trailers. Maybe not that, but 
I mean, he could go. He could use a uh, maybe a hair improvement. Yeah, well, and that you know, gray hair is often meant to again communicate in a visual language the presence of wisdom, and that's probably what they were going that's for. That's true. You yeah. can communicate in a visual language all you like, but if you can't communicate by action, it means nothing. <laughs> and speaking of action and the Red Shirt Club, we get a great view of how terrible their methodology is because in the, when Tendi is uh, wreaking havoc in the mess hall in scorpion form their solution is to <laughs> just step in and, and start giving speeches which is inspires some of the crew but does nothing well it starts inspiring the crew and then just confuses them <laughs> giving a great reference yeah. to the you know that whole scene is a great reference to you know bad leadership 101 you know, you start with the person totally. giving the inspiring speech, and it's actually kind of working. But this isn't a time for a speech, right? It's time for action. Yes. So you need to be giving instructions. Right. So nobody's doing anything. They're just standing there listening. But then the second person right. comes in and is giving their speech, and that <laughs> speech just confuses everybody, which is a callback to bad leadership of too many chiefs, not enough Indians. And then right. when Boimler steps in and is all like, I've got a solution... He's chastised for it, which again is bad leadership. Where yeah, completely. yeah, you shouldn't be solving the problem. You know, you're supposed to be the leader, telling people <laughs> what to do. And it's all like, well, you know, there's there's a time for speeches and there's a time for action. And right. he was the person who had both the knowledge, the skill, and the connections to make the solution a reality. He should have done it. It's such a fantastic yeah. just scene that is a breakdown of bad leadership and failures thereof it's just fantastic yeah completely and thank goodness a lot of the red shirt club realizes this at the end of the episode uh, so even jen you know the i think you mentioned she needs to be airlocked in previous episodes even she realizes that yes. it's bad leadership and... jen turns good <laughs> and the whole crew the whole red shirt club acknowledges and it's one fantastic scene the exchange between ensign casey boimler and ransom where Casey focuses 100% on getting the promotion, despite not having the mindset, skills, or accomplishments to get there. And he runs up to the captain and says, hey, I want this opportunity. He doesn't know right. what the opportunity really is. He just wants it because it is a opportunity. It is a step up. It is, you know, right. what he perceives as making it more important. And Ransom gives it to him because... Okay, anybody can do this. It doesn't really matter. But Boimler, <laughs> right. the person who's focused on actually living the Starfleet life and actually living the, I want to say, the command life, the what will get you there, i.e. being there for your crew, having the knowledge, doing the work to get you there, he actually walks away with the accolades, which is more important yeah. than that few seconds of the command share. And the big thing for me about that is that it kind of shows, like, this is what Starfleet is supposed to be. Totally. Boimler is showing the Starfleet values, and he takes the Starfleet action, and that's why he's going to succeed, whereas Ensign Casey is going to flounder, because he is just wanting prestige and, you know, personal gain, rather than wanting to be a part of this Starfleet machine. Yeah, and the the one line that really got me was uh, when he's watching the lower deckers do their thing, and he goes, "Oh, they're not they're not working in Starfleet; they're working for Starfleet." And I was like, "Oh no, that is not the right attitude at all." And I 
and I was so uh, I felt so vindicated when he gets assigned to clean out the uh, airlock after sitting in the captain's chair for two seconds cleaning out the airlock because of course as we know the Packlet thought the airlock was a bathroom. You think they would have machines for that? Ugh. So gross. <laughs> well, who knows? Maybe the Cerritos isn't equipped with the little uh, maintenance bots that we see in <laughs> Discovery or whatever. But you know what? Somebody's got to manually do to it. To call back to an episode I hate, this is a perfect example of, you know, Picard got ahead in his life, right? Because he made choices, and those choices were to be bold and to take action. And that's what Boimler did in this episode, and that's what got him the recognition. Whereas Ensign Casey focused entirely on the end result of, you know, being the guy giving the speech, being the guy that looks great, and, you know, uh, maybe... And being imitative. You know what, maybe... This is not the way to go. Yeah, definitely. And you know what, maybe the solution is somebody just needs to stab Ensign Casey through the heart. You know, you may get their, your wish. We do have lots of episodes left, and who knows? Maybe the packlets could be all murdered. It's, it's not my wish. Axis. It's my wish for Ensign Casey. Yeah, it's quite a distinction there. Um, let's see. Well, what else do we have to cover? Um, I think what I, it could be my favorite part of the episode is Boimler's replicator order that finally puts uh, Tendi over the edge to lose her scorpionness. I mean, first, I mean, first he just orders a bowl of beans, which is a hilarious because I think. And the first shot of the lower deckers in the mess hall, they're just all just eating a giant bowl of beans. I don't think that's what <laughs> they're eating got... in the first shot. <laughs> I, I was wondering. Yeah, like some of them are white beans and some of them are brown beans, I, but I think they're all beans. I, I, I feel like that was actually <laughs> ice cream they were supposed to be eating. Oh, was it ice cream? I don't know okay. for sure, well, you, but... Uh, you can't tell with the animation, no, it's, it's, but I feel like... It's just a little too smooth <laughs> to be beans. There's no roundness there. <laughs> Indeed. But anyway, the order at the end, I think, was the best part, which is uh, he, he gives an order of uh, taffy, honey, shrimp, soda, corn, steak, chicken nuggets, crispy lemon rock candy, chili gravy, chocolate sundae, all hot. And that's got to that's gotta be a sticky mess. And I feel like the replicator should have some sort of buffer system to prevent that sort of <laughs> the spraying out like that. <laughs> vomit from happening. Well, you know what? It makes for a hilarious show. Who knows? Maybe Tendi is a scorpion. She's banging around stuff in there. Maybe she has kind of broken the replicator a bit. I don't even think Boimler's ready for it to just spray out like that. I think that was his intention the whole time. I think he knew that was going to happen. That's what he's going for. <laughs> he's just yeah. going for the slapstick. Uh, comedy yeah, is yeah. a lot about preparation, you know? That's right. Yep. Uh, oh, one other thing I wanted to mention that was also hilarious, probably my second favorite moment in the in, in the episode, is when the Packlet spy is being shown around by Ransom. By the way, your boy Ransom and Kayshawn are like buddy-buddy and equally incompetent and immediately lose a spy that they know is for sure a spy. Yeah, well, you know, it goes to show that the old saying is 100% true, always underestimate your allies and overestimate your enemies. <laughs> that's true. I'm not sure if that's a real saying, but if it isn't, trademark right now. Aaron, 2021. <laughs> there you go. But um, they mention, Ransom mentions that the Cerritos has a gift shop. Well, yeah. I mean, why wouldn't you have a gift shop on your starship? It just plays <laughs> into the whole, these guys aren't out there to seek out the unknown for scientific <laughs> right. and cultural advancement. They're just out there for entertainment value, baby. Which is amazing. I feel like that kind of fits the MO as a diplomatic ship if they have a gift shop somewhere. I hope we see it at some point. Just like a bunch of shirts that just say USS Cerritos on them and the hats. I definitely need one of those hats, even though I don't really wear hats. So, I mean, I that just, explains where the one. Discovery crew got their disco shirts. <laughs> Does Discovery have a, uh, a gift shop as well? I, I got to assume so. I mean, 
It's wartime. What else do you need in war but gift but shop gift with shop. Uh, yeah. monogram T-shirts? Yeah, that's a fair point. You know, I just I love this episode and how like every ending was just such a fantastic resolution to the exchange, and there's all this foreshadowing going on when the whole. Packled, he gets on board the ship. He's not really a refugee. He's a spy. Everybody knows he's a spy. You know, they go through this whole exchange. He escapes them, and she's all like, "Oh, he's in the bathroom. Oh, he really was using the bathroom." They ask the <laughs> that was bridge, You know, where's the Packled? And they're like, "Oh, he's not on the ship." And oh, he's really not on the ship. It turns out they are dumber than we keep giving them credit for. It's just such a fantastic scene. And then you know, it comes all to the final conclusion where. Uh, Freeman totally cons them into revealing their whole big secret scheme. And for a moment, you feel like there's going to be realization where what they've done. And nope, they go doubly dumb. No. Because they had just had it revealed that it is in fact not Janeway there. And they still celebrate defeating Janeway. They still call her Janeway, yeah. I have to give uh, Freeman some credit there, though. I, it was kind of a almost surprising amount of ingenuity where she... It just says exactly the right thing to get the packlets to reveal their plan. So, damn dude, hard to argue with that. That's some uh, great job. Hardcore sideways insults you're dropping there, buddy. Um, <laughs> hey, you know what? If she keeps on doing well, maybe she'll get an enterprise. <laughs> but yeah, but like every storyline had great resolutions like that. Like uh, the plot of the doing the anomaly cleanup day. It winds up being that the resolution is that, you know what? There actually could be fun. It's a choice they make. Right. The resolution to Boimler's plot is that, you know, hey, these guys, they're not all knowing and all on board. I'm going to resolve the problem by doing the thing I've always been doing, which he did in the opening scene and engaging in a little <laughs> comedic uh, endeavor. Just, it's, it's a really well put together episode, that's for sure. Yeah, a lot of good writing um, that we haven't like explicitly seen in the previous episodes, like the not on board the ship and he's he's in the bathroom yeah. stuff. That's uh, yeah, hilarious stuff that we haven't Definitely seen. Definitely really episodes, good. It's one so. of those things that you may not pick up on on a first watch, at least not all of it, because right. it's it's so densely packed in there. But you definitely will yeah. pick it up on yeah. future rewatches. You know, one interesting thing is we, you know, especially coming from the collector episode earlier in the season where like literally everything that's on this collector ship is a reference and a lot of the science trash stuff, I'm not sure we're seeing specific references. I don't think. And again, like if any listeners want to correct me if there's any specific references there, but I mean, it's a lot of generic stuff like weird crystals and it's, it's a lot less overbearing. The references are and a lot less in your face. Yeah, it's, it's weird. Like, the show has kind of trained me to be like, oh, I'm ready to identify some references, and those come from, like, I don't think those are from anything. I'm confused. But no, it was still good. I, 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 it doesn't have to be, though, is what I'm trying to say. It not everything has to be a reference. It's fun when they are, but I'm fine with weird other stuff. I've said stuff. it a million times. When the joke is purely reference, it tends to hit less than the actual yeah, totally. jokes that the writers are doing. Yeah, I completely yeah. agree. So it's nice. Yeah. I don't it doesn't need, not everything needs to be referenced. Of course, you know, this all that we've talked about tonight, there was one big message of the episode that I think we really need to take a moment to address. Because it's fun to okay. have a good funny time and little sure. humor and good storytelling, but in reality, you know, what good is a story if it doesn't purvey a clear and concise message? And I think this episode did a fantastic job of doing that. And that message okay. is clearly slapstick better than improv is that what the message was 
<laughs> I, I'm surprised you didn't pick up on it. It was it was quite obvious. Thank you. Well, you know what? I guess I'll just smile and nod and say yes. That was indeed the message of this episode. Definitely anything about command style. Nope. That's no, not what it's all about. Slapstick yep. being the best. Nope. Yeah. Nothing about command style, being quick on your feet, uh, learning to love the tasks, <laughs> working as a team. None of that. Nope. Nope. Nothing about tentacles. This was all about was all, uh, what is the best slapstick. style of comedy. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah. Uh, I would think that your drink is running a little low. Yeah. You know, actually, I've actually poured one too many tonight and uh oh i see i think that means it's it's about time we we called it a night i think so so for all of you listening at home and those of you who aren't if you guys who are listening can tell those who aren't listening just so they know i feel like this is important <laughs> <To listen. laughs> you can catch us again next week for our review of episode seven and in the interim you can always catch us on twitter at lower dorks or if you feel like you need something a little less entertaining, you can check out those CD bars down by the docks and wait for the sound of silence as someone tells jokes. And there you'll find a man on the stage doing his best attempt at improv with somebody who's absolutely not interested. But is it slapstick improv? That's not a thing. 